Are you storytelling people? Like people that tell stories in your family? My, my family, believe it or not, is storytelling. That, that just back several generations, they tell stories. And so I have heard stories of all kinds of different things. And some of my favorites were stories of my grandpa and things that my grandpa did. And so he would tell us stories about what it was like living in occupied Netherlands during World War II and what it was like to be uh, resisting the, the uh, occupation there and how he would go for long walks in the snow and looking for uh, bread and trying to trade. He had a, the story that sticks out to me most is he said, I, I had this bicycle inner tube. And I was trying to go trade that for some food. And so I was walking along through the snow and I found a, a farmer and I asked him if I would, if he would trade me this inner tube for uh, some food. And he took it and he looked at it and he said, it has patches on it. And I said, yes, but it holds air. It has 16 patches on it. And he said, yes, but it holds air. He says, what good is this? And my grandfather took it back and he says, well, if you don't want it, I'll find someone who does. And he marched off and he said, my dad told me and now I am telling you that even in the worst of circumstances, you can't lose your sense of humor. And that, that story just stuck with me and I went, okay, even in the worst of circumstances, because I cannot imagine my circumstances being so bad that I would be starving walking through the snow with 16 patches on an inner tube, hoping that someone would trade me for food. So in any of my circumstances, I am just going to go, ha, this is great. I'm going to keep my sense of humor like my grandfather did. And so there were stories of, of uh, that. There were stories of how he came to the United States, how he met my grandmother, how they got married, how they went to be missionaries in Nigeria, how they came back and planted churches in California and Montana and Washington. And all these stories about their lives and what God had done and how God had been faithful to them through all of those things. And that's how ex exactly how this sto story, this psalm starts. When we open up Psalm 44, you just see how this begins. It says, uh, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So that's just the heading on this. They want you to, to know there are some instructions here. This is an instructive kind of psalm. It's a uh, maskil. You should learn something from it. Don't just enjoy singing it, but take something from it. Learn something from it. And this is from the sons of Korah. And then it begins, Oh God! Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our forefathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. So right away, this psalm is acknowledging, God, we have heard about you from our fathers. From our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, we have heard about you. And this is what we've been told. We've been told about what great deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did they by their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. He's just, he's just beginning to rehearse. And if, if you have read through the Old Testament, you know the stories he's referring to. 
Because the stories of the Old Testament about how how uh, there was this nation of Israel that was enslaved in Egypt and God came and delivered them from there and brought them to a land that was going to be their own. And He drove out the nations in front of them so that there would be space for them in the land. And He said, no, we know about all the battles. We know about all of the stuff that happened. But we know, God, because our parents have been telling us and it's all written down for us God, that you did that. They didn't do it by their own strength. It wasn't because they were so powerful or so great a nation or so uh, mighty or, or so skilled with their weapons that they went in and took out, in, took out the other nations and took over the land. Lord, we know all of that. It wasn't any of those things. It was because you were so good. And so gracious, and you provided this land for them. And Lord, you have been with our people for generations, and we have heard all of these stories. You are my king, oh God. You are my king. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who, who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. He just he begins in those first three verses by rehearsing all of the stories that he has heard from his grandparents and great-grandparents, and, and great-great-grandparents about God's faithfulness and the things that He had done and how they, they gave him the, they get, He gave them the land. But then He begins in verse 4 to go, And me too, God. Me too. We have trusted in You. Me as the king and this nation currently, it's not just our parents, but us too. Right? So when I talk with my kids and they're, they're going, so how did you and mom meet? How, what, what are those stories like? Well, well, I used to live up in the Seattle area and, and uh, your grandpa's business wasn't doing very well and so they had this great idea. We would move down to southern Washington and he would start a business with my uncle, his brother. And we would, we would uh, be living just a mile away from cousins and we would have a great time and they would be uh, in business together and we'd play with cousins and it would be wonderful. And so we moved down there and it was wonderful for six months. And then the business didn't do so well. And then the business closed. And then the uncle and the cousins all moved away. And we were left going, What? Why are we down here in southern Washington? All of my friends were up there. We just moved down here for business and cousins. Now there's no business and there's no cousins. But there was a beautiful girl. We found a church and, went, and, and six months later, uh, we walked into this church and I went, Dad, this is not the right church. These are not the right people. I don't know why we're at this church. And he said, this is the church for us. I said, no. They start at 1030 and they go till noon. Technically. The service keeps going beyond noon. 
It's like we're there all day. Don't you remember the good days when up in the Seattle area we went to church at 8.30, we were home by 11, brunch was over, we watched the Seahawks game and life was good? Now we're at church all day. And he said, oh, I have raised you wrong. That you think that the Lord's day is not for the Lord. This is the church for us. And I grudgingly went along. And there was a beautiful girl at that church. And I grew to love and understand who the Lord was in that church. And I grew a lot in that church. And I learned what it was to participate in a church and be a part of a church. And there was a beautiful girl. Who ended up becoming my wife. And I see this is the way that the Lord worked in my life. The Lord was so faithful to us. Even when we couldn't see it. This is how the Lord was faithful to us. And he's crying out and he's going, God, we remember the things that our grandparents did and our great grandparents did. And not just them, Lord, but us too. For you are my king, O God, and you ordain salvation for Jacob. And through you, we push down our foes, just like our grandparents did. It's not us. It's you. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. Not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. And if this was an eight verse psalm, we would be rejoicing all morning and just cheering about all the great things that God has done from the beginning of time all the way up until now and the expectation that he will continue to do great things forevermore. And we would have a very happy Sunday, but it doesn't end in verse eight. Verse nine. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a trifle. You demanded no high price for them. You've made us a taunt for our neighbors. The Rision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the peoples, uh, among the nations, and a laughing stock among the peoples. God, I remember all the stuff that you did. All the stuff that you did for our grandparents and great grandparents. I remember even the stuff that you have done for me. But right now, God, what is this? This is nothing like those stories. I can't see any reason for this at all. You you are the one who gives us victories. And we don't trust in our strength or our weaponry, but in you. And you give us victories. And right now, no victories. Right now, we just lose and lose and lose. What's the deal with that? I thought your people were supposed to win because you made them win. I don't get it, God. You've made us a byword among the nations and a laughingstock among the peoples. Just look at us and laugh. 
pathetic. All day long, my disgrace is before me. Shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. He's going, God. God, I, re- I remember all the stuff that you have done, but now this is not it. And, and we are just in such disgrace. When I tell people, oh, I follow God, and they say, then why are all these things happening to you? All I can say is, I don't know. Does God hate you? No, He loves me very much. Is God not capable? No, He's very capable. Omnipotent, in fact. Did you do something wrong? No. Then what's going on? I, I don't know. What I appreciate about this psalm, though, is that the psalmist is crying out to God and he's going, look, God, this is what I know. I know that you give us victories and it isn't us. And so I know also that when I'm in my weakest point, that's also not me. It isn't because of my failures. It isn't because I turned away from you. It isn't because I forgot you that this is happening. I know that sometimes those things happen, but but God, I just want you to know how unhappy I am with my circumstances right now. Sometimes I think that as Christians, we don't feel the freedom to say that. We we think that we're supposed to always be uh, positive. Right? We're, we're always supposed to be cheerful. We're also always supposed to be content and satisfied because isn't God good and doesn't God give us good things? And won't He always give us good things? And oh yes, He will. And yes, He does. And oh yes, that is right. And so I shall endeavor to be content in all circumstances because that is biblical. And when you are discontent, somebody comes alongside you and goes, you really should be, learn to be content in all things. And you find yourself going, yes, I know, that's true, that's biblical. I should learn to be content in all things, but I am not that holy. And I find that right now I am discontent. And what I appreciate about this is is that he has the freedom here to voice this discontent to God and say, God, it isn't that I don't trust you. It's not that I don't believe that you're good. I do trust you. I still have faith in you. But yet, I am not happy here. This doesn't seem right to me. This doesn't seem good to me. I don't like it. And he just complains. He sets out the faith and he sets out the history and he sets out God's character and then he voices his complaint to God. And I want you to know, that's okay. It's an appropriate response to say, there are things that are happening to me right now that I don't like. And to go to God and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. And I don't like it. 
You can say that. Just say it in faith. There are other people who, who come up against something like this and go, look, God is good and God does all of these things and this is not good and I don't like it and so I don't like God. And they march off in a huff. And you can't really blame them, can you? They were told that when they were with God, everything should be good because God always wins His victories and they don't feel like their victory is being won and so now they're upset and they're upset with God and they begin to walk away. And what I'm saying is, we don't always understand and you can complain to God about your circumstances right now. Just hang on in faith. And let Him know. God, I don't like this. I don't appreciate being treated this way. All this has come upon us even though we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. We remember, we remember back to the covenant and the promises that the nation made with you and how if we didn't keep these promises, there would be all kinds of consequences that would happen to us, but we have kept the covenant. And so how come the consequences are coming? That we had a deal. And I don't understand what's going on. If, if, he says in verse 20, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered this? For he knows the secret, secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He goes, look, God, if we had forgotten who you were, then we might understand but wouldn't you know that? You know everything. You know the, 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 our insides and our, out, our intentions. You know our heart. You know all of those things. You, you can look at us and, and see that we have not turned away from you or gone to worship some other God or put our hope and trust in something else. If we, we had come to you in prayer and gone, Oh, hey... Uh, What's his name again? Whatever your name is, I forgot, but I'll come up with it later. I mean, if I was coming to you like that, then I could understand that you would think I didn't really have faith, but I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten the name of Yahweh, the Lord our God, the God of the covenant, the one whose name is above all other names, the one in whom we have trusted from the beginning of our nationhood until now, from the time you have called us to be a people. We have followed you and we have trusted you and we have not strayed and we have not gone to other gods. And God, why are you forsaking us and where are you? Last week, if you were here, we did Psalm 43 and the, the enemies, the other people were accusing and needling and poking and going, where's your God? Where's your God? And this week he's going, God, where are you? Because it's just hard for me to understand why this would be happening to me if you were right here. But he says in verse 22, yet... For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. For, for your sake, God. It's because of you. We, we can't say, 
We, we can't say, oh, you know, it just happened. No, God, you are the one who's in control. You're the one who gets the victories. And you're the one who's responsible when this kind of stuff happens too. So somehow this must be for your sake that this is happening. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't like not getting it. I'm the kind of person who when I don't get it, I want to figure it out. Hold up. How does that work? That doesn't make sense. You know, puzzles and things. I love puzzles and things. I love them when I've figured them out. And I will wrestle with them and wrestle with them until I figure them out. And if I cannot figure them out, I will go to someone else and I will go, this is a dumb puzzle. It doesn't work. And then they will show me how it works and I will feel very foolish, but I will now know how it works. There's nothing I can't know. I have Google and I have YouTube. If I don't know the answers to something, I just Google it or I watch a YouTube video and then I know. And then I walk into a situation like this where for my, for God's sake, I feel like I'm being killed all the day long and I come up and I go, uh, why is this happening? Alexa, why is this happening? Alexa cannot answer the sovereignty of God. And so the psalmist finds themselves in this place, crying out and going, God, for your sake, it feels as though we are being slaughtered all the day long. And if you've been here with us for a few months, that phrase sounds very familiar. That phrase sounds very familiar because we used it in Romans 8. In fact, when we were preaching in Romans 8 and we hit this verse in Romans 8, I said, I wish we had time to go through all of Psalm 44, but we don't have time. We'll get to it this summer. Guess what? You waited long enough. It's this summer. (laughs) Because back in Romans chapter 8, in verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, that is just a great statement. We have the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit who testifies to us that we belong to God. We are his children and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the son of God, to inherit everything. Yes! Provided we suffer with him. Hold up. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And then he begins to go into all of this suffering and what that looks like and what that feels like. 
and how all of creation along with us is groaning because we have not yet been glorified and we have not yet gotten there. And even though God has adopted us as his heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and even though we have the spirit of God within us and we are his children and he loves us deeply, yet we suffer in this life. So that by the time you get down to verse 31 in Romans chapter 8, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You, you can see how this uh, from Romans chapter 8 ties so well with Psalm uh, 44. It, it's, like, it's like Paul had this whole psalm in mind. Where he's going, do you remember how the psalmist cried out and remembered God's faithfulness, but wasn't experiencing God's faithfulness in the moment? And was crying out and saying, it feels like I'm being killed, slaughtered all day long for your sacrifices, God. Not because of anything that I did, but just for your sake. And Paul says, look, those current sufferings don't even begin to compare with the glory that is to come. And so I want you to know that even the suffering right now, whether it is... Uh, whether it is tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, any of those things, any time you feel at that place where you feel like you are dying every single day, every moment, even in that place, that cannot separate you from the love of Christ. It can't. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Which is great to know, but yet you find yourself in that place where you're going... Fine, but it still hurts. It still hurts. And that's what Psalm 44 does for us. It gives us that, that place where we remember the things that God has done. We know that He is good. We know that He is able. We are believing that He will yet save us, but we find ourselves in this moment, not in the moment of salvation from the pain but right in the midst of it. And so he complains and he laments and he says, God, this is what's going on and I just feel like for your sake we are dying all day long. Even though we didn't deserve it. Even though we didn't turn away to other gods. 
And then he cries and he petitions the Lord and he says in verse 23 of Psalm 44, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself! Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. He just cries out and he goes, God, I know the history. And here's my complaint about how things currently stand. And now I am just pleading with you. It is as though you are asleep And you aren't responding to me. Wake up! Wake up, oh God! Have you ever had it happen where you were trying to get a hold of someone? You're you're trying to reach out and you you want to get a response back from them. And so you've given them a phone call or sent them a text message or an email or something. And you're going, normally they would respond by now. How come you haven't gotten back to me? Maybe they don't care. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they don't want to help. Maybe they're not going to help. And we start, you know, spinning and, and making up all of these things. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We, we had before known, we could think about all the ways in which they have shown us in the past that they love us. We could think about in the past all the ways that they have met our needs and helped us and cared for us. But, but in this moment, we have put out the, the request and there has been no response. And so now we're beginning to wonder. We, we begin to wonder if either our relationship with them is not as secure as we had thought it was, or perhaps they are asleep or somehow not paying attention. And that's what he's doing here. Why are you hiding your face? Why don't you wake up? Why don't you wake up and see the plight? See the state that we're in. See that we are about to die. In Mark 4, we have a story very similar to this. Jesus has been teaching all day long. And on that day, verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. So they're on the Sea of Galilee and they're about to cross over to the other side. So they all get into the boat. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling But Jesus was in the stern and asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They they were in a place of death. 
Right? The wind had come up. The waves were splashing into the boat. The boat was already filling up with water. Yet somehow Jesus literally slept on the cushion. And they come to Him and they're like, Jesus! Don't you care? Don't you care at all that we are about to die? And Jesus went, Be quiet. I'm familiar with that. Some days it's nap time. And I want my nap. And there's this loud, the world is going to blow up noise. Dad! Be quiet. Jesus wakes up, says, peace, be still. The disciples are still. The boat is still. The water is still. The wind is still. So apparently Jesus was just asleep and didn't care up to that point. Maybe up until that very moment, Jesus was not able to still the storm, but now he is. No, Jesus was right there with them and the storm was raging all around and they panicked and cried out to him and he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Why would you think with me right here by you that you would not live through this? Why would you think that I would abandon you right here and you would perish? Why would you think that I would not be able to handle... How long have I been with you? Have you been hearing my teachings at all? I can handle this. And he said, peace, be still. And everything was calm. I want you to know that when everything is raging all around you and it seems like the circumstances of life are completely out of control, they are not yet out of control. Rehearse the things that God has done in the past. Rehearse the things that God has done in your own life. Lament and Complain to God about how they are. Even petition Him, but believe. He can still the storm. And the day of glory is yet to come because these present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory of what is to come. We last week had a refrain in Psalm 43 and 42, that Psalm 43 finishes with, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
Would you read that with me? I'm hoping that some of you wrote it down last week, that you wrote it on your mirrors, but I know that some of you weren't here last week and you didn't have an opportunity to do that, or you intended to do it and you forgot, and so I'm giving you another opportunity. Don't be ashamed to write that down again and memorize this verse, remember this verse. But let's read it all together right now. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Oh, our Father in heaven, You are our God and our salvation. We know that our salvation is not going to come from anywhere else. It is not going to come from our strength. It is not going to come from our wisdom or how resourceful we are or from anyone else or from any other God but you alone. And so, Lord, when our circumstances are such that we find ourselves in peril, we come to you and we cry out and say, God, we don't like this. Father, hear our prayer. Be attentive. Turn your face toward us and pay attention as we cry out. Reaffirm your love for us. Reassure our hearts and our very souls that we might trust down to our very core that despite whatever suffering or turmoil may be going on around us or within us, you are our God who will see us through. You have not left us and will never forsake us. And one day the glories that we have with you will be beyond comparison with anything we have experienced to the negative. And so, Father, it is in that hope that we pray and we ask that you would hear our prayers. And now we hopefully uh, praise you in worship. According to Jesus' name, amen.